This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? Very good, thanks. No prizes for guessing what the big story of the day, certainly on this side of the Atlantic, is. And that is, of course, the Bank of England keeping interest rates at that record low rate of 0.1%. The MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee, voting 7-2 to in favour of no change. And Craig, this has certainly caught the markets by surprise, hasn't it? It has. The view in the markets before the meeting was that it was kind of a coin toss as to whether they'd raise interest rates or not. The commentary which we'd had from certain officials, including Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey prior to the meeting, suggested that there was a number of people in favour of a rate rise and almost justifying the need for one. So the surprising thing maybe with the actual decision itself isn't just that they didn't raise rates, uh, but the rationale for not raising rates and the fact that the vote wasn't even close. If it was a six to three, five to four vote, you could say, well, it really was. Um, it really was quite tight, but it was a seven to two vote. So it was a broad. It was it was a large number that voted to keep rates unchanged, which makes which begs the question. Why was there so much communication going into this meeting that it was very live and that a rate rise could be warranted? Um, it feels like a, a communication misstep rather than a policy misstep. Indeed. But what was the rationale with keeping it at the same incredibly low rate of 0.1%? I know Bank uh, Governor Andrew Bailey said the decision had been a close call. And I suppose, you know, three members of the MPC voting the other way. And yes, we would have seen a rise in rates. So maybe it was originally a close call, but perhaps they got cold feet worrying about the effect it might have symbolically on the economy. I think there is an element of cold feet because I think they the, the rationale they gave during the press conference after, for example, referenced the end of the furlough scheme and wanting to see more data to see what impact that had on unemployment, that they thought more people uh, were still using the furlough scheme at the end than they anticipated. Um, and even though they still think that the redundancy rate was quite low, uh, following that, they wanted to see the data. But then the argument against that is, well, this was never a rate rise that was... Uh, that was coming as a result of a booming economy to kind of to kind of cool supply cool demand uh, as it were this was always and a supply side driven inflation problem uh, and raising interest rates because inflation was higher than they anticipated and was lasting longer than they anticipated so to give the justification to not raise rates as being a, a, a small concern about uh, employment and wanting to see some more data just doesn't seem to add up to me in fact it's interesting that there was more votes to effectively bring to get bring an end to bond buying sooner than there was for interest rate rises. Uh, so the envelope for for asset purchases from the Bank of England uh, is uh, eight hundred I think eight hundred seventy five uh, billion pounds. Um, well, that envelope is only going to be hit at the end of this year. So we're still seeing net monthly asset purchases even now. So we could have seen um, uh, uh, we could have seen a rate rise. And may still see a rate rise while they're still buying bonds, which doesn't seem, um, which seems kind of counter logical. So it seems that maybe some policymakers decided, well, maybe we'll get a bit cold feet on interest rates, but if we could lower the envelope slightly for bond purchases and stop buying new bonds in the market, uh, stop increasing our balance sheet, as it were, then that could still have a similar effect and still send a strong message. But even then, it, it was, I think, again, that vote was six to three. So 
closer than the interest rate vote, but not um, not close enough. Again, it, it does just seem to me, I think an interest rate rise is coming. Uh, I think it will probably come next month. But the reaction that we've seen in the market suggests that there just isn't that massive consensus, which appeared to be building and which the government, which, which the markets kind of reflected. This is a market that not so long ago was anticipating that rates would be 1.2% by the end of next year. And then we'll pull back because of a potential policy misstep or something along those lines. The view that you can see within the Bank of England almost today is that if they're going to be this cautious about every small rate hike, then maybe the markets have got a bit ahead of themselves. Absolutely. And I suppose the thoughts were, let's not punish consumers and uh, house owners because it's not really down to demand that we're seeing a rise in inflation it's that weird surge in gas and electricity prices uh, supply chain problems and coming out of covid it's all part of that rather than as you say a booming economy where they're trying to rein in spending Exactly. And there was a couple of questions at the end of the press conference, which kind of alluded uh, to that about not wanting to kind of put a further squeeze uh, on households at a time when they're already being squeezed um, from other angles and uh, and the kind of the impact that the supply side issue is having uh, on the inflation data. Um, and, may, and I think Bailey alluded to the fact that no matter how many times they raise interest rates, it's not going to uh, more natural gas isn't going to magically appear on the market, so it's not going to it's not going to solve that problems. It's not going to solve shipping problems. We're not going to see more chips being produced because they raise interest rates. So there's certain things which they can address, but there's uh, the large part of the issues they can't address. Um, and I guess the fear is that because inflation's high and running high and expected to run line for a long period of time. What they're trying to nip in the bud early is the idea that this can start to filter through to wage demands, and that, then that starts to become a more domestic and dri- domestically driven issue that the Bank of England will potentially have to uh, contend with. But yeah, like I say, it does just seem that the central bank is not as convinced as they gave the impression before the meeting, and that's why we're seeing this change in the markets. And of course, that has had an effect on the pound today. I mean, this morning when I looked at the chances of a rate rise as far as the markets were concerned, I think I saw something like 62% uh, the chance for a rise. So um, maybe that was already factored in uh, to the uh, currency and the pound. But we've seen a drop of more than 1% today against the dollar. Yeah, we have. Um, And I think, like I say, that just kind of reflects everything that I've just been saying about the fact that they'd given this strong impression going into the meeting that rate rises were coming, that we should be prepared for them, that they're warranted and that they're necessary. Um, and then the the message you get during the meeting is, is almost very different. Um, and looking now at implied rates, uh, we can see that the implied rate by the end of next year is now 1.02%. So they have pulled back somewhat, still quite high, uh, but still... Um, but pulled back by what we're talking um, close to 20%, 15 20% that they've pulled back from, from where they were a week or two ago when we saw a lot of this communication from from the Bank of England. Another interesting thing that we alluded to towards the end, assuming that I've read this correctly, was that they were saying that based on current market rates, which is what they kind of build a lot of their forecasts off, that they think that in, I think in three years that inflation is going to be running below target around 1.7%, I think they said. Because the question they keep getting asked is, do you agree with what the market's saying? Do you agree with the market's perception for uh, for where interest rates are going? And you get central banks get, get asked this quite frequently. And 
they the Bank of England very very was very quick and different policymakers, including the governor, dodged the question, said we don't comment on the path that the of interest rates that the markets will into. We don't say whether they are correct or whether they're wrong. But one thing they did say is that if assuming the markets are correct, we now the the impact that we see this having is that inflation is going to be running below our target, and that doesn't necessarily seem to be what we should be aiming for. And they, from what I gathered from that, again, assuming I've read this correctly, because you're always trying to read between the lines with these things. From what I from what I gather from what they said there is that. We can't say whether the market's correct, but we actually think that they're getting a bit ahead of themselves and that there will be rate hikes, but maybe not as many as they're anticipating. And if they rein in their expectations a bit, then that will naturally mean that inflation is a little bit higher uh, and will be roughly around target. So that's what I've kind of gathered from that. And maybe that's what the markets have read as well. Okay, let's whiz across to the other side of the Atlantic. And of course, last night, the Federal Reserve uh, took the spotlight and not as big a surprise uh, from the Fed with uh, bringing down those asset purchases uh, over the next few months from the current rate of $120 billion. So no big surprise there. No, so it's currently standard $120 billion, which is $80 billion of uh, treasuries and $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. Um, so what they've what they've announced is what the markets were expecting them to announce, which is that that will start to be tapered from this month. It was always going to be this month or next month. This month seemed more likely. Um, and it will be tapered by $15 billion a month, $10 billion in treasuries, $5 billion of mortgage-backed securities, so that by the middle of next year, both of them will have been phased out and their balance sheet will effectively stop uh, growing. What was interesting, um, I guess, about this was the fact that there seemed to just be a, a, a long list of caveats on everything they said. Uh, maybe trying to appease the hawks on the committee and the doves as well. So they said that they will, uh, they will, they will move this lower over a course of a number of months, so that it will end by the middle of next year. But we will, we stand ready to change the pace at which we're doing this, depending on how the economy responds. Now, you could take that to be dovish or hawkish. You could say that if the if, if inflation's high, they could speed it up. If inflation is lower, then they could slow it down. So that kind of appeals to both. They also retained the use of the word transitory. Now, one of the things we were looking for before this meeting was, are they going to drop transitory? Because inflation is lasting longer and because it's higher than uh, than expected, and because we're seeing things like last week, the employment cost index jumped to a 31-year high, um, is this a sign that maybe inflationary pressures aren't tra- transitory after all or are less transitory than than anticipated? Um, there, are, or there, are, there, are, there are there are indications that it is becoming a little bit more ingrained and it is lasting longer. So is transitory an effective use of the word in this sense? And will they drop it? And if they drop it, is that a really hawkish move from the central bank? And I think they've considered it and they kept transitory, but then also kind of added caveats around that being like, we still think it's transitory because we think it's temporarily driven, but... Uh, but it is lasting longer and it is higher, so it's something that we need to be aware of. So they kind of it's, it seems to me like they're gradually f- phasing out asset purchases, but they're also gradually phasing out use of the word transitory as well. They still want it to be made clear that it's temporary factors which are driving the surge, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be temporary in, in, in totality, and it's not going to potentially rise further. So very small tweaks. I guess is what I'm saying from the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve, unlike what we're saying with the Bank of England here and unlike what we've said with other central banks like the RBA earlier this week, for example, 
They're very good at their communication and have been for quite some time. They've made policy missteps in the past with their communication, which has led to things like taper tantrums. Um, we saw it with rate hikes when they were embarking on their rate hike cycle earlier on in Jerome Powell's reign as uh, chair. They're very good at communication these days. They'll make small tweaks. They'll communicate them very clearly. They communicated tapering over and over and over and over again for the last month or two. So they, they are very good at, at the communication side. So that, I think what we're seeing is a gradual phase out of this. And once they start to phase out tapering, then they'll start to talk about interest rates. So I think the December meeting now becomes really interesting because they're armed with new economic forecasts. So if they decide to phase out transitory, they can justify it with some data. If they decide to, when they release a dot plot about when they think interest rates are going to rise, they can justify things. This was never going to be the meeting for either of those two things. So I think what we've seen effectively yesterday was they were laying the groundwork to phase that out. Okay, um, before we let you go, we've heard some comments from OPEC Plus today, quite important ones regarding future supply of oil. Yeah, so this is literally just happened. So uh, we should but we should bear that in mind um, because there, were, there was a press conference, for example. But uh, it looks as though they're staying the course. Um, so we've got oil prices, which are currently, what, 80, uh, 80, $81 WTI, $83 Brent crude. Very high levels. Uh, we've seen a lot of comments from various world leaders, most notably the US, calling on OPEC to increase production because oil prices are, are too high and they're going to be a drag on the global economy at a, an already challenging time. And um, we are seeing more demand for crude oil, which Saudi Aramco have previously alluded to is around 500,000 barrels a day as a result of using oil as an alternative energy source because of the shortage in, uh, of natural gas. So there's been calls or uh, experts, growing expectations that OPEC Plus may decide to ramp up their monthly output increases from 400,000 barrels per day each month currently to try and get it back up to pre-pandemic levels by the end of next year. And that may be increased either permanently or temporarily. Um, the All the noises we heard recently from, from various members, including Saudi Arabia, Russia, was that that's not going to happen, was that they're content with oil prices where they are, they are, that they don't see it as a major issue, that demand could fall over the course of the next few months as a result of COVID spikes and what that it does in terms of restrictions and in terms of people's behaviour. So they don't want to do it. And it looks to me, based on the announcement that's just happened, that they have decided to maintain their output increases at 400,000 400, barrels each uh, each month, uh, per day each month, um, as they were previously, and they're not bowing to pressures currently. Now, that may change over the next month or two because, say, the next meeting on December 2nd, say we haven't seen massive COVID surges, we haven't seen massive restrictions, then they may feel a little bit more comfortable, especially if oil's now at $90 a barrel, $100 a barrel, their position may change. But as it currently stands, oil just above $80 a barrel, I think they are perfectly content. We've seen oil is a little bit higher on the day. It's pulled back over the last hour or two going into the actual decision. I think it actually rallied in anticipation of the decision just uh, a bit. So much of a muchness, really. We're still seeing high oil prices, and I don't think this announcement today has come as a massive shock or change that. I think it was always going to be low odds that we were going to see a, an adjustment. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.